What's up everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vane Whitetail Series and this is the beginning of the end. This is the start of the late season segment. We got 8, 9, 10 episodes coming out on the late season. If you're like me, you didn't kill in the pre-rut or the rut or the early season. Now we're on the late season and it can be a real grind, but at the same time, deer are still plentiful. Um, they're still active in daylight hours and it's arguably one of the best times to kill a mature deer just because there's so much scarcity around. So... Um, it should be, I've already had recorded a couple of these podcasts and they've been awesome, really helpful, very useful for me personally, and I hope they are for you as well. As always, this podcast has been sponsored by Onyx and Arrow Hunter Saddles. I really appreciate their support. So if you guys could show them some support, that would mean a lot to me. Um, Arrow Hunter Saddles, it's a tree saddle. Um, saddle hunting is a real, getting real popular right now. I use that saddle probably 50, 60% of the time. Um, I'm out when I'm out trying to be mobile, um, it's just so much easier than carrying a stand and sticks. It, it really is. I just put up four sticks and then I stand on the top stick and I'm ready to rock. Um, and you can pretty much get into a lot of different trees and it's just, it's a, it's a good system. If you're trying to be mobile and especially late season, you may need to be mobile because food sources will change. Bedding areas will change and you got it. You have to hunt the hot sign in late season. Um, cause it's, likely the only sign that you're going to find. So being mobile um, is very, very big in the late season. And uh, if you're ever looking into those saddles, look at Arrow Hunter saddles. As far as Onyx goes, you know, they're the GPS mapping app, show private public land boundaries. Uh, they give you waypoints, topo maps, hybrid maps, satellite maps. Um, you can track your distances, all sorts of things. I even use it for running when I go for runs. I'll just track where I go and it'll give me times and distance and all that stuff. So please go check out Onyx Maps and Arrow Hunter Saddles if you guys are in the market for either of those uh, categories. All right, let's get into it. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vane Podcast. Today, I have Seth Rooker on the line today with Advantage Whitetail. It's like Booker, but with an R, and that really <laughs> helps me a little bit. Um, and you can find Seth on Instagram. It's it's Seth Rooker, or you can find Advantage Whitetail, which is like his his group, his team's um, Instagram page. So go find those. They got some great content, some fun content on there. But uh, today we're, we're starting at a high level and running through Seth's season and giving a little background on Seth. But um, we're going to be talking about uh, having a property year over year over year or hunting the same property year over year over year. And, and the first year or two, it seems like a massive dump of data and information that you're trying to collect and, and utilize in the field. And then after that year three, the new information in year four, it kind of slowly starts to fade because you've been there, you've, you've understand the property a little bit more. And, and today we're talking about the small tweaks you can make to be more and more successful. So you're not, you're not sitting there in year five, six, and seven going, man, every time it seems like I'm 50 yards away, I'm 60 yards away. I'm just out of range. You know, I'm, I'm getting in here just a little bit too late or a little bit too early, or they're blowing every time I come through this area. So we're talking about those we're, today. We're going to run through the, the tweaks that you're making to, to get to that next level and, and be able to, to capitalize on those deer, whether it's just trying to, trying to shoot a doe for the first time, or, you know, you got a 180 inch buck on trail camera and you're like, how in the hell am I going to kill this thing? So um, with that, Seth, why don't you uh, kind of introduce yourself, but do it in a, let's, let's do it in a way of, of talking about your past, this past season. 
can sure. try to try to try to work that in there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me on. This will be a lot of fun. Yeah. So um, I hunt just west of the Des Moines, Iowa metro, uh, central Iowa. It, it was a great season, a little bit unique for me. Um, something that I've never done before. I had kind of an, an exceptional deer on camera. Um, you know, obviously don't know for sure, but estimating this deer well over 200 inches and I'm pretty spoiled. Um, <laughs> pretty lucky to have some family members with good farms that give me permission. Um, so that's kind of your dream come true scenario. But as every hunter kind of goes through, you know, you get a trail camera picture and it just kind of sticks in your mind. But then you also have to make that decision of like, okay, I have several other nice deer on camera. Am I gonna, at what point would I relax my standards a little bit or am I really committing to this one deer? Cause you really kind of corner yourself if you're narrowing it, narrowing it down to a deer. I mean, yeah. it's hard enough to shoot a deer let alone one specific. So, um, I think that is like kind of a, a trend with a lot of people nowadays is like trying to hone in on one deer, but it's like, I mean, God, you, I mean, I don't know if I could even consider like passing, like passing like a 160 walking by for, well, there's odds that I could possibly get a 200, you know, it's like, yeah. I don't know. Can you do it? <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm at the stage now I've been bow hunting for about 10 years. I've been blessed enough to shoot a handful of nice deer. I'm kind of to the point where I'll, I'll shoot a doe or I'm kind of want a trophy buck. Like for okay. me, there's not really that in between and I'm okay with that. And that doesn't have to be everybody's goal. Everybody's goal is different. That's the beauty of deer hunting. Right. But the reason I even kind of started that way is it really defined how the season went. Um, and you can okay. have a successful season without shooting a deer, right? Yeah, and for sure. The, the success of the season is the memories you make, what you see, what you learn, all that stuff. So not to get too philosophical, but <laughs> it, it was a great season. Although, um, spoiler alert, I did not get the deer. I don't even know if it's still alive, but um, saw him a couple times. Uh, that was enough to get the blood pumping and um, ended up late season. I think, gosh, I can't even remember what day it was. I think it was the 30th, uh, December 30th. I ended up shooting a doe with my late season bow tag. Okay. And then I still had my late muzzleloader tag left. Um, that's the season I choose to hunt in Iowa. Um, okay. Every, I know there's listeners from other states, but our season's a little bit unique to where you have to choose um, early muzzleloader, shotgun one, shotgun two, or late muzzleloader if you're not a landowner. But anyway, all that to say, our season ends January 10th. And uh, so it just ended, what, a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. a, a great season. We had uh, I had unbelievable footage of some of these deer that we're still going to put together uh, some recap of the um, how the season went, but it was really just kind of a, I, I hate to use the term like a chess match. It's, it gets overused <laughs> in the 
the hunting media world, but it, it really what it's what it becomes. You start really overthinking things like, should I sit this stand? Should I sit that stand? Where's he going to be? He was here this day last year. Is he going to be here this day next year? Um, all those kind of wins like, wrong for that day. <laughs> exactly. So you're like, okay, at what point um, should I be cautious and not try to be too aggressive? Or at what point in the rut can I start really making a move? Cause he might start moving out kind of all those questions that lead to a little bit of a roller coaster season, but yeah. deer hunting for me, like I said earlier, it's, it's about so much more than shooting a deer. I know that's the objective. I wouldn't even go out if I wasn't trying to get one, you know, that's my objective every single time. Um, I definitely believe in, in the quality of your sits over the quantity, because I think okay. pressure, pressure matters um, big time. But at the same time, there's also the flip side of that. Like you can't kill them from the couch, right? That's the old <laughs> adage. Yep. So you got to go when you can go. It's purely a law of numbers game too. And let's face it, we pretend to know a lot, but a lot of it boils down to luck. And if yeah. it's just the right place, right time, uh, Doe brings him by you or he gets bumped by something and you just happen to be there. So it is a law of numbers game too, but that is the long way, Anthony, of saying great season. Uh, didn't fill my buck tag, but did get a, a doe with my bow, which I was happy. Um, made a good shot. She didn't go very far. So those are the little successes that I like as well. Yeah. One of, to add to your point of, of the luck, I have a couple questions in there, but to add to your point of the luck, there are certain properties that I've begun that I've hunted year over year over year. And I'm kind of like narrowed down pretty much like these are the three spots that I can sit, you know? And at that point, based on like, if all three of them are good for a South wind, like it is a luck game. Like it's one, it's one spot, one, two or three. I don't know which one it is, but it's going to be one of these today. I'm probably going to pick the wrong one because that's just <laughs> how it goes. But at the same time, I it, it's reassuring that I've hunted that piece enough and I've understood it enough and I've scouted it enough and I've dropped enough trail cameras on it that it's like, at this point, it is a luck game. You know, and I think you can get there. And a lot of people do a lot of those, a lot of the, the big time hunters, the people who hunt all the time, like they don't kill every single sit you know, it's not like they have it figured out, you know, they have the spots figured out and then it's up to the deer to make the mistake on that specific day. Right. And it's up to you to not miss and to not, you know, get, have your scent in the wrong direction and all that stuff. Yeah. But, um, with that 200 incher, you said that you, or did you want to throw something in there? I was just going to make a quick comment. You mentioned, you know, you have three spots for a South wind and, you're like, all of them could be good. So I'll sit here and it gets to be eight o'clock and you're not seeing much. And you're already thinking, man, I should have sat that other spot. <laughs> yeah. We've all been there. Every right? time. Yeah. yeah. So, Every time. Um, the yeah. Indecision kills me in the deer woods, <laughs> like walking to the stand with all, with all three of those and in, in open play, it's like, okay, which one do I sit? <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to make up my mind on the way there. I've begun to pick one when I leave. And regardless of what occurs, that's where I'm going. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And just like so much of hunting becomes your attitude as well. Like 
it's so easy, especially later in the season. If you've, you know, if you've gotten busted or winded or a couple times, or you haven't been seeing much, or maybe you missed one, or it, it's really it, something that is so fun and enjoyable can really become like this mental, um, you know, like energy suck on you. Cause you're yeah. Like, like you why know, am I even going? Yeah. But every time you have to sit, like really just try to remind yourself to be, to be confident because it, it can happen at any time. That's what I've learned. How many times you thought of getting down and all of a sudden you look, you're like, Oh, maybe I'll sit another 20 minutes. There's a day. You know? <laughs> right. So, yeah. Anyway, I, I actually, cut you off earlier. No, I had that happen. Actually. I haven't told, I, one of the things I hate doing on my, on my podcast is telling my stories. Cause I feel like I tell them over and over and my listeners hear my same stories over and over. And I hear, you know, I listen to like Kafaro cast and meat eater and, um, oh gosh, uh, working, working class bow hunter. And I will listen to those types, uh, East meets West bow Martonic and, and they tell the same stories and you get to like learn the people by listening to their same stories over and over again. <laughs> but I don't think I've told this one, which is I was early season this year. I got set up in a spot that I had scouted in the winter and I knew was likely to be, be good only in the early season, just because of the proximity to the parking lot. Plus the, um, the difficulty of travel. It's like in the early season, it, you're walking through nettles and multiflower rows and tall grass and all sorts of crap going into a swamp. Um, so it's, it's not likely that other people will be hunting that, you know, when you get to mid season, the mosquitoes die down, the, the grass kind of dies down and you can kind of work your way through that stuff a lot easier. Um, it becomes probably a zoo in there. So anyway, I was, I got in there opening night and I set up and, and I had seen, I had like four or five does come through one that I was going to shoot. And I hit my, I drew back. And then when I drew back, she was out at a distance where the only way I could shoot her, my bow hanger was right in the way of my limb. So as soon as I shot, my limb would hit my bow hanger. So that was no good. So I moved my bow hanger and I was like, well, you know, I guess tonight's kind of a, but like I saw the deer, I can come back here tomorrow night and everything. It's kind of, I'll probably start packing up. It's getting pretty late. So I start, uh, I grab my bow and I go to take off my arrow to put in my quiver and I look over and here comes two does, you know, scoot, scooting right through. And they came at me square on the only shot I had at her was at like 16 yards. And it was like, I would have had to like shoot over or under her head when she was like looking at me. So mm -hmm. like, it was just not a shot that I really wanted to take. Yeah. Um, so I was like, you know, opening night, it's all you girl, <laughs> you get the fruit, you get the pass. Like, I'm just going to let it ride. Um, but that to your point, yeah, exactly. It's like, I was ready to pack up. I was ready to get done, uh, get down. And all of a sudden there they are. And that could have been the hundred and 140 incher you know, yeah. that, that lived in that area, the, on my way home, I saw with, with my head truck headlights, um, crossing out of that piece of public was 140 incher. So he was there. I was just in the wrong spot, which is fine. Like, I mean, he was there. I was happy. The fact that he was even there. Cause I didn't even put right. cameras or anything in there. 
Um, but anyway, back circling way back to your story, the 200 incher, how, like you said, you saw them a few times. Tell me about those, those sightings. Were they like extremely far away? Were they close? You couldn't get a shot or what happened there? Yeah. Great question. So, um, November 11th was when I, for the first, uh, sighting, um, he was with a doe, he was tending to the, a doe and that's pretty normal for, uh, I guess probably the entire Midwest, but where I hunt in Iowa, generally, I think most of the breedings that 12th through 15th, 16th time. So he was with her, uh, veterans day is always a good day to hunt. So I had actually sat all day, didn't see much. And then right at about four o'clock, I see a doe and then he's behind her and they were at about a hundred yards. Okay. And you know, like the thing that stinks about that is he's kind of got what he wants. So I tried a couple, <laughs> couple grunts. Um, you know, he'd kind of look over like, okay, what's going on here? Um, and try to snort wheeze that definitely got his attention. He kind of took a couple steps. Like, is somebody going to come in here and try to get her from me? Yeah. But at the end of the day, he didn't see anything and he didn't really have a reason to leave her for confrontation. You know what I mean? He was already with what he was after. So what ended up happening, she kind of, they were in a cut cornfield and she kind of fed over the crest of the hill and he followed her that way, um, never to be seen again. <laughs> so, um, and I had, uh, this was the first year I've ever run a cell camera. So I had gotten a picture of that deer on the 25th of October, um, walking right by one of my stands. And that kind of goes back to, I guess, a point like I had, um, it was a north wind that day. We had gotten some snow. It was a, a nice front came through. But that stand, I could really only hunt with a south. And he came from the south. So I, it's probably a good chance I wouldn't have seen him if I was there because I would have probably been dead to rights if, uh, anyway. Yeah, he would have picked you instantly. First time I had cell, uh, cell cams, um, it ended up getting me really excited to have that picture. And then I had not seen him, um, you know, cameras don't tell all, obviously they could walk on the other side of the tree and he was right there, you know, <laughs> right. And he didn't walk by the camera when I know he was within a hundred yards of it. So, um, while I was hunting the, on the 11th, but then I had another picture on the same camera on the 17th of November as well. He was, it appeared that he was behind a doe. I had a picture of a doe go through and then he went through as well, but that was the, actually the last sighting. Um, this was a deer, like he's, he's been around the area for a couple of years now. So a lot of people know about him <laughs> and people get curious about something like that, you know? Oh yeah. People driving around trying to see him. So, but they don't get big by being dumb. So I'm not sure what happened. I'm kind of curious to do some shed hunting, um, see if he lived, but I got some good footage that we'll eventually share on our channel. Um, kind of waiting a little bit to release that, not to, uh, I don't know, not to sound weird about it, but it's just, it would be nice to tell the story um, after kind of knowing that he's 
he's dead but yeah anyway no, man that... i have i i have no qualms about that like and i i know people who won't even tell other people that hunt the same property what deer they're getting on trail camera so it's you know i you definitely don't you don't need to run that by me like you don't need to feel bad (laughs) about that what i hate being that way because it's like (laughs) i don't want to be private but you also know like that's the cameras don't hang themselves and like the preparation and you know all the stuff that you put into it you don't not to sound selfish but you don't necessarily just want joe schmo reaping the benefit off of that you know what i mean right yeah and, um i mean we're all in this together as hunters don't get me wrong i i'm not above anybody else and i don't i don't pretend to be but you know it's probably it's always just best not to flap your gums about something like that right um, till you know till after the fact oh no, yeah that reminds me of a of a meme that you always see right before like shotgun or rifle season starts which is just like <laughs> some googan in orange and they're like, don't worry, that buck you've been after for the last 60 days, I'm, I'll kill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, on pure luck. Yeah. And like, just because you got a camera picture, you've seen them. I mean, nobody owns the deer. So right. that's fine. Um, the whole point of even really even getting into the this tangent here is it, it kind of defined how the season went for me. Um, you I, like I said, I saw several other nice bucks and generally speaking, we're, we're looking to shoot a five-year-old deer and I'm not perfect at aging deer. That's part of the reason why I run trail cameras. So hopefully I can identify them, have a little bit more time to study it. Maybe you have a prior year of history. Um, but that hasn't always been my goal either. I mean, that's probably evolved to that point in the last year or two, but when I started, you know, hunting 13 years ago, it was just to get a racked buck or, or shoot a mature doe. That was my goal. And that was just as fun as chasing a, a Boone and Crockett deer now. So yeah, that's certainly like, I always just kind of joke about like social media makes you kind of feel like you got to validate yourself by getting a, a big one. Or I just don't ever think that that's what hunting is or will be about you know it's definitely about the learning process um improving everybody likes to improve no matter what aspect of your life and yeah it goes to what you said earlier like everyone's goal is different on what you want out of it because some people i mean like for me i in context of elk hunting like there's guys out there who are like six by six or die like "Ah, that's it you know, and I'm like, give me something legal, you know? So like, and that's my objective and that's what makes it fun for me is like, I sit in Wisconsin all year, every year looking for a very specific deer or, or, or a specific class of deer. And when I go out West, it's almost like freeing to myself because it's like, dude, if it's a cow, it's dead. Like if I can get it in range, man, I'm pulling the trigger. I don't care if it's you know, it has to like where I, the units I've hunted in Colorado, it's four points on one side and I'm killing it, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, and other people would look at that and be like, what are you doing? You know, and I'd be like, dude, it's all about my goals and my priorities, you For know, sure. and I, and I exactly 
feel the same way to anybody who hunts whitetails. It's all about your goals and priorities. It's never, it's to me, it's never been about, um, you know, only shooting like everyone in Wisconsin needs to only shoot four and a half year olds or older. Like, I know some people would really like that because that's some people's goals is that's yep. it, you know? And that's why Buffalo County is so good. Cause so many people up there, that's the objective. Mm-hmm. Um, and Buffalo County for anyone who doesn't know is one of the premier counties in the United States and, and it's in Wisconsin and giants are shot out of there. It's like one of the best Boone and Crockett counties in the country. Um, yep. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, now it's, whatever the hell you want to shoot man <laughs> whatever yeah, is going to put a think, smile on you i don't face. think it can be said enough especially today i mean everybody's at a different in a different chapter of the book right you mm-hmm. don't compare your chapter one or two to chapter 20 to somebody else and yeah. like the deer shaming i mean don't don't feel like you have to i tell people this all the time because i people know i love to hunt so if they're curious about learning how to get into it or what to do. I get a lot of questions like that. And I just say like, if you shoot a deer, just be happy with it. Like you, you bought a license, you do it legally. Nobody can say anything about that. And don't, don't preface it like, well, he's not a giant, but um, he was good for me. Just say, I got a deer. I'm really happy. You know, yeah, exactly, then, man. I met, I met this I met this old dude on a piece of public. We were walking out. I was walking out. I could see his headlamp behind me. You know, we got back to the parking lot and I said, Hey man, how'd you do? You know? And he goes, he said that almost those exact same words. He's like, you know, it's not a giant, but I shot my first, my first buck and it's a spike and I'm, I'm okay with that. And I was like, why are you trying to defend yourself, dude? That is awesome. Congratulations. Do you need help with it? You know, what do you want? And he's like, no, I got a couple of buddies coming, but for me, like, I'm not going to shoot that spike, but at the same time, I'm, 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 I'm very happy for him. And I'm expressing that happiness as best as I can, because I don't want him to feel like, like degraded because he shot a spike. Like it's one of his first, I think it was his second season ever hunting. And it was his first time really like trying. Cause most times the first season you go out and you're like, this will be easy. And you never see a damn thing. So, right. So he goes out there second season and he shoots a spike. And I'm like, dude, congrats. Like I was as happy as I was like, congratulations, man. Happy for you. Do you need help? Like, that's so awesome. Like, dude, that is so cool. Good for you, dude. I haven't, I haven't killed anything this year. So you're, you're doing better than me, man. Mm-hmm. And so just trying to make like, and it was, it was interesting, like to a total stranger, he felt that way. And I'm like, why? Like, I don't know you. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I don't know. People like, I guess on the flip side, there are those that you talk to that, you know, um, complain about, well, I never see any big deer and, you know, like the people that shoot the spike or the fork every year and then complain why they never see big deer. (laughs) That's different, right? Totally different. Because we've heard the people say, well, if I don't shoot him, he'll walk on the neighbor's property and get shot. So that's why I shot him. It's like, that's what you're out to deer hunt for is like, that's the reason is you shot that deer because you were afraid the neighbor would get him. 
again, I'm not shaming anybody. If you do it legally, I could care less what you shoot, but I just want everybody to kind of be in it together. Let's try to improve a little bit every year. Um, you know, I, a lot of people like to fill the freezer too, which I think is cool. Um, a big mature doe fills the freezer too. And there's, uh, who's the guy, um, he's, the uh, is, I think is the red arrow. He shoots the does all the time. Oh he's yeah. Make shooting does great again. I can't remember his name, but yeah. Red arrow, <laughs> arrow TV. I, yeah. The, he's always got fun, like fun face paint on and it's pretty wild. Yeah. And like, I just feel like some people think that they're not as good if they shoot a doe. It's like, sometimes that's one of the hardest deer to shoot because. Oh all, yeah. Like a 13 year old doe, man. Or a, we've Kip, got all gotten winded by yeah, Kip Campbell. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, not to get too off on a tangent there, Anthony, but no, no, that's fine. I, I also like, I don't want you know, your, your listeners to think, oh, he's a big hot shot. <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to say. I mean, if your goals are, your goals are your goals, I think it's the, the point we're making here. Yeah, no. Yeah. For, uh, agreed. Agreed. So, um, we talked about trail cameras a lot, so let's, let's jump into that. So let's jump into the, the whole thought process of tweaking your, tweaking different different aspects of your hunt to better next year so for those guys who've hunted a piece of property and they've done it for three four years and they're still not getting to where they want to be what are like let's get in that, get into how we can do that so i want to cover trail cameras first um because we've been talking about that but but we'll get into stands and food plots and d- different deer trails different bedding areas and things like that so yeah. trail cameras like what had have you gone through like a progression of like changing up your trail cameras and now they're kind of in like you put the cameras in the same spot every year or do you still switch them up or tell talk to me about that that's it's a great question um i would say they do for the most part they stay in the same spots but i always tweak a few and i would uh, the rule of thumb that i generally use is one camera per like 80 acres so obviously depending on the farm you could probably use one maybe two and 80 acres um but i, I use, think i use seven this is getting like <laughs> well and that's fine that's fine that's i guess coming from somebody in iowa we have a lot of ag fields too. So okay, sure. Ends up being a little bit different, but even where we hunt in Illinois, um, on a one hundred sixty acres, I guess we got three cameras up there. But okay. So to answer your question, um, they generally stay in the same spots. And some of the things that I look for, um, obviously, if you can find a good hard trail or intersecting trails where you could hit more than one, that's okay. always a good spot. Um, something that's like, I guess, easy to check, so to speak, but it's also kind of not like in the open, if that makes sense. So you don't have to like walk all the way through everything just to go check it. And then all the way back out 
So you want it to be secluded, but maybe easy to access, which I know that maybe yeah. sounds like an oxymoron a little bit, but that's, those are the sorts of things like I'm, I'll try to be super cognizant of how much I'm in some of the properties and trail cameras get so tempting to like go check all the time. <laughs> right. Like yeah. that, you know, whether it's every week, every two weeks, every month, whatever, everybody's different. And I get impatient. So I know I have to like <laughs> really say like, okay, I'm not going to check these. Um, but the big thing is, and you know, guys like Jeff Sturgis, uh, Whitetail Habitat Solutions preach this. They do like the licking binds or, you know, the, what does he call it? The mock scrapes. Yeah. That, that tends to work all year. So if you can find a spot where it's intersecting trails and, you know, he says no scent. I use some of like the Evercalm, that Conquest. Sure. I mean, I'm pretty confident that every deer within a 40 acre or 80 acre piece is going to hit that within a three week span. Um, I just, no matter the time of year, at least my cameras normally go out around like mid 4th of July, usually where there's enough growth to like know what it is. Um, sure. at least like sometimes I'll run like one all year round just out of curiosity, but like the major ones will go back out in the summer when there's enough growth to at least you know, cause when it's like this or when it's like this, you know, it's just starting, like everything looks for same. anybody, for anybody listening, Seth is imitating like little buttons on a buck in July or little tiny nubs. So right. essentially what, yeah, what you're looking for is as soon as there's like more than what you can tell that deer is, is going to grow into be, that's when you're getting your trail cameras out. So that's like may point. doesn't really matter. It doesn't, and it really only costs you batteries, right? So it's like, why not have it out? It's not that big of a deal. But if you're using it for a scouting purpose, it's kind of nice to know, like, what is this? What What is this that I'm getting? Is it a year and a half? Is it two and a half, three and a half? At, at least by your best estimation, mm -hmm. right? It's sometimes in the summer, it's hardest to tell because the deer are, you know, the most slender that they'll be all year. And mm hmm Anyway, um, to get back to the point, the, the mock scrapes work really well, um, especially when you get into that late September, early October time, um, even mid-October when deer start scraping a lot. Yeah, That's a great time where you're going to probably start getting inventory of deer all over the area. I mean, within probably the square mile, not just what's living on your piece or I say your piece, the, the piece that you're kind of targeting. Um, so that's generally the time of year where I'll change things from maybe like the edge of a bean field to like, okay, I'm going to put this on a scrape next to my stand because I don't really, at that time of year, I'm not going to go in the farm just to check a camera. I'm going to go in the farm to hunt. And while I'm in there, hopefully I got the camera within whatever if the scrapes hopefully within shooting distance, right? 30 yards, let's say yeah. 25, 30 yards, I can check that camera because I'm in there anyway, hunting. So it's kind of like killing two birds with one stone, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, so that's generally like our season starts October 1st, but um, 
I know Wisconsin's a couple week or a couple weeks before that mid September, but and other I think some of the southern states might even be like September first in some mm-hmm. areas. So yeah, north north I think North and South Dakota are September first too. Okay, but. every every it all kind of depends on weather and when your season is and things like that. But generally, that when the deer go into hard horn, they're going to start hitting those scrapes a little bit more. Yeah. Um, at the point of the summer is like, you're not really, you're not really, I guess the point of the scrape is to get the deer to stop in front of the camera, or at least like try to define the movement in front of your camera. And the camera is like, it's cool for curiosity, but it also tells you a lot of information, right? If you're not getting any pictures, it's probably not a great spot, right? Right. That sounds obvious, but um, I don't know. It's, you can get hung up on it too. I think sometimes it's like, even if you don't have something on camera, it can still be a good spot too. Yeah. Um, and to that, to that point, you know, a friend of mine had cameras up and he's like, when I went and visited him, him one time, we were talking about trail cameras and he was like, yeah, dude, I was getting on average, like a hundred pictures a week hundred to 150 pictures a week on this camera. And he's like, I check it every week. Cause it's right by it's right where I drive the four wheeler. So I literally just stop and check the card and put it back and it doesn't bother the deer at all. It's on a fence yeah. post. Um, and, uh, and he said there were two weeks in there where I was getting like 20 to 30 pictures. And he goes, if I didn't know any better, I'd say that was a garbage spot. But because I had all these pictures before and all these pictures after, like, obviously I I know it's a good spot. And that's just like, so my, my advice on that, like exactly how you said is, is if you're not getting pictures, um, try to try to scout it a different way. Are there tracks there? Is it just that your camera sucks? Cause I've had cameras where there's literally tracks in the snow and I have no pictures like, okay, how the hell did this work out? Right. (laughs) So like check, check that. And, and if, if you, if you, if you're like, if it's on a trail and you're not getting pictures, but you think it's a good trail, then follow that trail until you're saying it, maybe it intersects with another trail at some point and you can set it there. And now you yeah. like have kind of moved it to catch that other trail, but you're still going to catch that original trail that you were looking at. So now you have another opportunity. Absolutely. And one more thing, as you were talking there, Anthony, when you were talking about your buddy, I mean, the cameras do like, sometimes they're hot and then sometimes they're cold. Like you have these kind of, I guess, waves, but I remember hearing Mark Drury say a long time ago, like a lot of times the best inventory he gets is like the second week um, or like right around August 10th, like that first two weeks of August, Um, which is interesting to me. Like that's not, that's generally a freaking really hot time of year, no matter where yeah. you are. You wouldn't think deer move a lot that time of year. Like, let's just find a good shaded area, a water source. And, but I've ever since I heard him say that, like three, four years ago, I kind of noticed that, like, oh, shoot, that, that big buck that I saw uh, last year, he showed up again in, or on August 8th or whatever. And it's like, I don't know what it is, but it's, it's, somehow 
to be true and then they're gone and then they might show back up in October when they start moving more but yeah huh. for some reason I think they expand their range a little bit that time of year to like figure out where they're gonna really call home per se yeah again I think it's it's just a theory but that's in no that's interesting and it could deal with food sources and whatnot but I mean I it's obvious that deer expand and and contract their range throughout the year for I mean yep. certainly with the rut and whatnot but I know like I was telling you about a spot that I hunt earlier where I can climb up this cliff edge and there's a scrape at like 18 yards right in front of me well that camera is it's a mock scrape that I put up and that camera, I hung it in, I don't know, like September, like 18th or 20th. That camera was dead until October 12th. And all of a sudden, all these, I had four bucks on there that I'd never seen before on any other, my, any other of my cameras. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, I, where the hell they came from? I don't know. But then they were there for the next, you know, two months. I missed one of them. I saw two of the others. Um one of them at nine yards and I was, he, I was popped up over that cliff and him and I were face to face. Like Hmm. actually I was, I was like at his like hoof level and I was just staring at him and he was staring at me and he was five feet from a doe and she was looking at me and there was another small eight behind her. And it was kind of one of those things. Like I've never been like at ground level with a buck with a nice 10 point, like 150 inch 10 point at nine yards, like I was kind of in shock at what the hell was going on. You know, (laughs) it's like, what is, what is happening right now? You know, and, and the way the cliff was set up, there was no way I could draw my bow. Absolutely none. So it was just like, well, you got me. Maybe I'll just try to slink away and hide, you know? Um, And he ended up just, just kind of trotting off whatever. And that doe trotted off too. And there were four bucks. It turns out there were four bucks in that area, but, um, I don't have, know how, uh, how I got on that was that those mock scrapes. And I think, I think it's something that is something people overlook on public ground. So mock scrapes are like, people don't put them up on public ground. I think because like, they're afraid to show other people that they're hunting there or something like that. It's kind of like a privacy thing, but you can create a mock scrape. That's pretty, um, what I want to say discreet. It's pretty discreet. Like if you, you just find a good spot, you break a couple branches, you know, you kick it out a little bit and walk away. Like that's, that's decent. You don't have to cut a vine and hang it with a rope and clean the whole thing out. It's, it's not a necessity. Yeah. And it's, um, I was just looking at this, uh, one second, like you said, so the mock scrape, it's literally find a branch that's about eye level for a deer. I always just break it off a little bit. So it's kind of like it might blow in the wind a little bit. I mean, it's yeah. deer do, um, you know, rub the ground. So it looks like almost like you just stepped in the batter's box, you know, you start kicking the dirt around. <laughs> sure. And then like, I usually just take a leak in it and that's, and then you're done. Their attention. But yeah, I don't know if you can see this, this is what I use. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I know Evercom. I've, I used that one year. 
um, it's, bought it for fun. Yeah, I don't use it really ever when I'm hunting. I just use it for the mock scrapes. Um, oh, just okay. a little deer scent there. Um, sure. Anyway, it's it seemed to work for me because um, Illinois, no baiting of any kind. So you're kind of limited to trails, um, food sources, field edges, mock scrapes. Iowa, we can put out a, a mineral. We can't hunt over it. But you can so that's what's okay. tricky about it. You got to be really careful that it's not a spot that's near one of your stands too, because the DNR could whack you if they felt that you were hunting, hunting over that, even if there was just that mineral in the dirt, you know, several months after you added it. So that, that does help though. Um, putting out a little mineral cause they're just curious. They can smell it. So they'll come and check it out. Yeah. They're probably like, they don't really advertise because everybody's afraid of CWD, right? So they don't probably want people, people baiting more than they need to, but it also is a good way to take inventory in the summer. And the deer yeah. don't really hit that mineral once they're out of, you know, once their antlers are done growing anyway. But it is something like, if you ever Googled like the Joe Franz buck, I think it's Joe, it might be Steve, the, the Franz buck. That was a huge story in Iowa like three years ago. Again, not to digress, but it is a quick comment on trail cams. Um, at, uh, sure. He was basically, they said, I think some jealous neighbor, don't quote me on this, but said that he was hunting over bait because there was a mineral site like 150 yards away from where he was hunting, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I see that. It was cleared of baiting charges. Yeah, it was line a, I'm reading. Just an amazing deer and yeah, 230 inches. I don't know. I don't know him personally or know the details. You know, you never know right. what the news is these days. So so how do you so you said you like your cameras are kind of set in the same spots? How did you come to like select those spots? Like, I mean, were they the are they the same spots that you put them out on day one or or did they evolve over time? definitely evolved over time okay um, so yeah was that like a trial and error thing or was that like um or are you yeah tell me about that i guess yeah it's i mean it, it, that's probably the simple answer trial and error um, okay you don't really know especially if the property's brand new you don't really know how the deer are going to move through it i mean you can kind of look for trails but you know, you'd be surprised at some of the areas that deer walk. You're like, why, why do they take that line? Like these deer always walk on this edge here. Like they, they should just want to walk right here. And so it might take a year of just observing from your stand, um, yeah. what the movement is like, or you made a great point earlier, just looking for tracks. I mean, just, and that's why I like this time of year because it's very evident where the deer are walking. If you, um, <laughs> if you have a little snow or even mud, um, the trails are much more defined. Yeah. So that doesn't, and you know, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but the, the deer patterns will change a little bit, but for the most part, the deer will spend the same, you know, they're spending their time in the generally speaking, the same areas. Mm -hmm. It changes a little bit, but the trails that are defined today will probably be good trails to hunt in October, November. Um, sure. 
So yeah, that was kind of part of it, I guess, that to round out the answer there. How do you know where to set it? I mean, it is trial and error. You just set it up, um, see what you get, and that's that's really it. But yeah. Now, do you run your trail cameras more for like an inventory purpose or like a kill purpose, like a stand kill purpose, or both? You have, yeah. Definitely inventory, because okay. all all your trail camera data, even your even on the cell cams, which uh, you know, like that seems to get people fired up, whether that's ethical or not. Right. But yeah, let's just say a traditional cell cam it's, it's in the past, right? It's, it's data that the deer was there. That doesn't really tell you that he's going to be there. Sure. Right. So by the time you get it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's just, it's so hard. Cause I feel like you're, I don't know. The question, the question was for inventory or for hunting. I mean, it's the answer is both, but it's more for inventory. Okay. I would say. Just to kind of see, cause like, I feel like if, if it's, I mean, the, the stand that you set up that you were saying like is close to a mock scrape that you have the camera on, like that's dual purpose. Like you can hunt that. Like if there's a buck that's hit that, you know, or generally your bucks are hitting that in the evening and not in the morning, like all your picture in the evening, well, that's dual purpose. You can hunt that and you get inventory out of it. Right. If you're, if you're on a field edge, all your photos are at night, but you're getting good bucks, then that's like inventory, right? Or it's extremely sporadic or some sort of food source. You're looking at inventory, but you can't really hunt there. And then you have like cameras that are just on trails that are good huntable trails where you have a tree stand set up and you want to see, are they using this in the morning or the evening and what deer are coming through there? Like that's, that's a hunt. That's a killable or a huntable camera in my opinion. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right, Anthony. I mean, so if, if Mark Drury was listening to this, he would be saying, well, you're missing out on so much information. Those pictures are telling you that would tell you, okay, he's moving on this wind and this moon phase, if you really want to dig deep into it, um, he moved on this date past this tree um, with this pressure. So you can learn all those sorts of things about the deer movement. Like I get some of that, you know, like, okay, he's coming in from the east here in the evening and coming from the west in the morning. So he's probably, you know, you're kind of learning some of that from your pictures as well. But again, it's that that's kind of hard. Like, I feel like it's hard to get to that point. Like if you have big private tracks of land that are undisturbed, then I think some of that works and not to take credit away from, um, you know, like, I think that's important to pay attention to at any level, public, private, you name it. But sometimes it's just nice to know like okay there's a good buck in this area i'm gonna hunt it because that gets me excited i have a little bit more optimism right and that's that is really changed my whole strategy around this one picture you get what i'm saying oh 100 percent. in 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 my own life so like the public land that i hunt is a few thousand acres and i will put cameras up across like i'll probably put like six cameras across the whole like couple thousand acres that i can hunt and um 
And there are certain certain times I've done that where I've gotten a good buck over on one piece that just tells me that he is in this area and I do not get good bucks on any of the other cameras. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to hunt over here because there, there clearly is, you know, I, I luckily set the camera in the right spot. You know, I picked a good spot apparently, and I got a deer there. I got a good deer there. Maybe I got them during daylight. That's even better. And now I know that I, that it just, it helps me hone in on where I want to hunt, you know, because I, across, you know, these, the 6,000 public acres that I can hunt, most of it's swamp and, and river, but across that like there's a lot of options i need to narrow it down somehow so that's that that's helpful or you know like some people have the opportunity to hunt like 20 acres of private they throw a camera out there and they don't get any bucks over you know 100 inches just small young bucks well maybe that's just a piece that you want to hunt in november and you would rather go bomb around on public in in september right it just helps it helps you figure out what you want to do if that's what you're after or maybe on that 20 p 20 acre piece you're only getting nocturnal photos so you're like ah, i just want to kill a deer but everything's moving through here at night so all right well i'm i'm out on this piece i'll go i'll go take my chances somewhere else it just gives you a process of elimination totally for sure for sure you want to hunt i mean this is a very obvious statement but you want to hunt your best spots on your best conditions when you're able to go right yeah and the camera is just another tool to help you have a little bit more confidence that you're in the right spot that hopefully maybe it showed you that there was a couple nice bucks in the area, or maybe it's just the fact, simple fact that you're getting pictures of deer in general. <laughs> you don't get any yeah. pictures. I mean, that's, I've been there, you know, growing, hunting, you know, Northern Wisconsin. It was just like, I'm out. I want to see a deer. Like, where <laughs> should I go? Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. So. Yeah, we're getting we're getting close to an hour, so we got to spend less time on each question okay. that I got coming up. <laughs> Sorry, I'm right. getting long winded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's good. It's good in depth conversation, but I wanna I wanna get I wanna touch on everything on sure. all these different aspects. So stands. How have you shifted your stands over time, and where you sit? And do you do you do any mobile within the private that you're able to hunt? Yeah, I guess hanging hunts. Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't do a lot of mobile. If I was going to do a mobile hunt, it would probably be from a ground blind. Okay. Um, I've not gotten into like, I I do have one of like the lone wall assault that's really easy to hang. And um, I use that more as like a, just my, uh, if I'm sitting with somebody else and I'm going to be the video guy is what I generally use it for. I haven't gotten into the saddle or anything like that, but the first part of the question, my stands, now that I'm on year eight of hunting this property, I don't change them a whole lot, but I did change them pretty much every year for the first three or four years. Okay. Because you think you got it in the right spot and then you alluded to it earlier. He's always 50 yards this way. Um, so maybe I, um, adjust it to this particular spot or this tree I'm always getting picked off in this tree so I'm going to move it to something with a little bit more cover um I've we talked about it a little bit before I had another spot that was kind of in this little swale sort of ditch area that I really liked 
but I was always getting winded there. Like your, my scent was just sitting down in this ditch and I would see deer, but every time they got into range, I'm like, I, I just can't have a stand here. This is not productive at this point. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that sort of stuff I've gone through in the first few years, but I feel like I got it pretty dialed in. Um, okay. You know, when you're hunting big tracks of timber, there are pretty much endless options for trees. I don't have that problem necessarily where I hunt in Iowa, but in Illinois, it's a much larger timber that we hunt. So there's a lot of selections. Um, but generally speaking, you know, you kind of look at, like, again, it just goes back to the deer sign, you know, yeah. where are, where are their scrapes? Um, and that, again, that goes back to like this time of year, sometimes I shouldn't say this time of year, probably, um, March. Sometimes you'll see those deer freshen up a scrape like this time of year, you're out shed hunting. You're like, there's fresh tracks in this scrape. So you kind of knew that it was there in the fall, right? They're probably not putting a new scrape up right now. Right. So those are some of the things that I'll look for as well. Like, okay, this is a spot deer are spending time during season, or here's a bunch of rubs. So maybe I should think about getting in on the edge of this. So I would not be afraid. It's a delicate balance. It's just like the trail cameras. You want to give it enough time to know that you gave it a good go, but not be afraid to change it up either. Sure. Okay. Do you have, do you, do you like have stands set up for specific times of the year and like stands that you're like, I don't really hunt this stand until the rut and other stands. I only hunt this the first two weeks of season, then it's kind of dead. Absolutely. Yep. So, so what, yeah. What would, what would dictate those factors? Um, so it just, again, it's just kind of all trial and error over the years of what I've experienced. Crop rotation is a big one too. Um, some of the spots where I'm at that might be on like the edge of a cornfield, I probably won't sit that like real early in the year, but if it's a bean location, then I, that might be where I want to be on October 1st is when they're still before the beans have turned. Um, yeah. this year it was really dry. The beans were, a lot of the beans were off by then, but it was a little bit of an exception. So there's some of that. Um, there are some spots, like it's purely a rut stand. Like it's just an intersection of fence lines and ditches. It's not going to hold a ton of deer, but bucks just end up cruising that a lot. So on a good cold November morning, it ends up being a good spot but I'm probably not going to invest a ton of time there like late season because it's just, there's no food or not a lot of cover yeah. either. So it just, again, it's really understanding the habitat of your overall area, I would say is the best way to describe it. Okay. No, it, good, good, good answer. And I, I would definitely agree. It's kind of, kind of a lot of it revolves around like generally what the deer are doing in that time frame. And, and you kind of said it without saying it, which is like early and late season are food and pre-rut and rut are like travel movement type mm -hmm. of stands. So, yeah, I mean like, you know, and, and not to say like the edge of a cornfield can't be good during the rut, not at all. Cause a lot of them are really good, yeah. but like Especially there's just, 
Yeah. But like early season green beans are going to be great. Whereas, you know, early season green corn is not going to be great. Generally speaking, I, yep. I always say that. And then I had a friend shoot 160 inch on green corn this year and on first weekend. And I asked him, I was like, how do you, it's like, how do you know to sit there? Was he eating? Like, were they tearing down the corn? And he's like, I just threw a camera there by on X, like on accident. I hunted, I was with him in August and I was like, you got your cameras out. You're going to kill one early season. He goes, dude, I haven't even tried. And then he sends me a picture of a 160 on opening night. And I'm like, F you. Yeah. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, well, I got back from our trip and I threw a camera out, went and checked it the day before. And there was a good buck on it a few times. So I sat it and I killed him. (laughs) Well, I guess it's that easy, huh? (laughs) You always got to be careful when you're talking about hunting of like saying never do this or always do that. Like, yeah, there's always exceptions, right? It's just like the deer cast or the hunt cast. If it says poor, you could go out and shoot the biggest buck of your life. And right. You know what I mean? So it's, it's just generalizations. Yeah. I think that's one that's a big telltale sign of somebody who's like not necessarily inexperienced, maybe just like arrogant or or inexperienced when they say like, oh, never hunt on a southwest wind or never hunt on an east wind or never hunt on a, a whatever, a new moon or something like that. It's just bad. It's flat out bad. Never do it. And I think that's like when I hear that in like Instagram or Facebook or on a podcast, it instantly turns me off to like, all right, this person doesn't really like get that every deer is different. And it doesn't like there are, it's, it's always, it's, it's generally a rule of thumb. Right. It's just like odds are you're not going to be successful on a new moon, but it's possible right? Odds are like, it's, it's all odds. And it's just trying to stack odds in your favor. It's really what it comes down to. Everybody's time's limited. We're all busy. We wish we could hunt more than we can. And so you're trying to pick your best spot. And most of the time it's like the old lady says, Hey, we got this. Um, you can either hunt Friday or you can hunt Saturday. So you're looking at the forecast and trying to make your best decision on like, okay, should I go Friday or Saturday? I mean, those are supposed to be things where you got to use all that information to make your decision. Anyway, that's yeah, no. And I, that brings up a good point, which is like having, like having multiple, having stands or I, at least ideas for stands for like kind of every different scenario. Cause if you can only hunt like most of us Saturday and Sunday, um, and for our Friday, Saturday and Sunday, if you get a long weekend, like you got to deal with what's coming. If it's an East wind and you have nothing for an East wind, you're like, you're kind of scrambling to figure out what the hell you can do. And then you're really looking into like a mobile setup, like, okay, how can I do this? Like, do I just sit on the ground? Do I have a lone wolf? Do I have a saddle? Do I need to pull a stand to create a mobile setup and move it all? Or how do, am I going to do this? Just like having an idea for all those scenarios. Cause I remember, mm-hmm. yeah, that's happened to me many times. <laughs> yep. That's Not a great point, second. Anthony. When it, it actually makes me go think back to my answer. You asked about moving tree stands. You know, sometimes you think a stand's good for a north wind, it ends up being good for an east wind. But 
you kind of learn that through hunting the property, but it is good. I always try to have a stand for every wind direction or for every predominant wind direction. So north, south, east, west, right? Um, and obviously some you can hunt with the southwest or a west or a south. Right. Generally speaking, it's nice. Or even if you hunt public and you're you know more of the running gun type, have a tree maybe in mind or a general area on each wind direction because if the wind's wrong you're just probably not going to have much luck and that's right. probably deer hunting 101 that doesn't say you can't get away with it like we just said sometimes right. you, there's always exceptions but generally, generally yeah sure. um have you okay next next kind of question have you ever manipulated a bed bedding areas in any way on your property over the years have you ever cut pieces cut trees to create or actually remove trees to remove a bedding area um never specifically to bedding um okay but i have cleared trails out of bedding to like define movement past it okay if that makes sense so like you went into the bedding area and you're like, I kind of want them to leave in this direction. So I'm going to kind of clear out a trail to go in that direction. Yep. And I got, okay. I mean, I'm fortunate that the farmer has big equipment to do that, um, to make, you know, it's not a chainsaw sort of situation. It's a excavator or a dozer. Um, yeah. and generally I'm not one that is in favor of taking out trees, but there's a really thick cedar area near one of my spots and i know the deer spend a lot of time there but it's hard to get them to come close to the stand so basically cleared like a 12 foot path on each side and the deer just walk it now so that didn't create bedding per se but it created a path where i knew they were bedding past the stand that was on the edge got Um, it and I have to imagine that that stand, the reason you needed to do that was because there weren't a whole lot of other options for a stand in that exactly area. Exactly right. Same for the, okay. Same for the, I actually have a area. blind. I don't even have a tree big enough for a stand. It's a redneck blind there. Okay. Uh, saved up all my pennies and got one of those <laughs> a few years ago. Happiest decision I ever did because it was one of those situations, like you just said, why do you have a stand there? Well, I had always observed the deer walk past this one area when I had a tree stand across the field. And I'm like, well, I didn't quite have enough visibility from the ground at that spot before the deer like on me. So I needed to be elevated and that's why I got the blind. And then the cedar clearing was just kind of the the final icing on the cake to make it a really sweet spot. Gotcha. So okay. Yeah, I just wanted I just wanted to throw that out there because that's inevitably that's going to be someone's question who's listening to the podcast is well why the hell wouldn't you just move the stand? Yeah. There wasn't a tree. I mean that's it was that simple. But I would say this is something we talked about earlier, but probably the main ways to influence deer movement is through clearing trails, um, food plots, you know, even like just small micro food plots. And then the scrapes we talked about too. I mean, those are kind of the main ways 
uh, other than like bait, which we don't, we don't hunt over. We can't. So, right. Or I don't think we would even if it's illegal, but um, those are kind of the ways that we use to try to define movement a little bit more in our favor. Yeah. Even when there's not the option for like a redneck or a tree stand there, we'll try some of those other tactics to see if that works. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes, that makes sense. So with the, with that cedar bedding area, I mean, that had to be, did you know that when you walked in there onto this property on day one, that like, wow, this is a great bedding area. No, it was something that evolved over time. Right. Okay. You're shaking your head. Yes. And no at me. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you can always speculate it's a thick area. Um, you know, we, we thought deer spent a lot of time in there, but it wasn't necessarily an area where you're like, I should have a stand right there. It was more so like a lot of times I just see the does are in there. The bucks will scent check that area. So they're always walking on the edge of it on the downwind side to see if there's does in there. Um, you know, not everybody's going to have like, especially if you hunt public land, you're you, you can't just clear a bunch of trees. That's not a tap. Right, right. Everybody is available. I understand that, but it is like, you, you probably can move like some logs or something to try to block off a trail here um, and try to force them this direction at this way, whether it's a crick crossing or whatever, that sort of little stuff can work in your favor sometimes, but we, no, the, the answer to the question is no, we didn't, we thought it was a good area, but we didn't know it was a spot we really wanted to stand until we observed that year after year, tried moving stands around. It's like, this just isn't working. We got to be here. And that was the beauty about having the blind is like, we were able to go there. We shot right. several yeah. nice deer out of that blind over the years. Okay. Yeah. And to your point, like, like, you know, manipulating bedding habitat for deer is is a private land thing like it's not a public land thing but the takeaway for anybody who's hunting public is it's it's to your point of what you just said which is over time you can if you're seeing like over time like wow i'm always seeing deer in the morning going into here and in the evening i'm always seeing deer coming from this direction you know that means there's a bedding area either where they're headed or where they're coming from. Like that's where they're betting. And, and what you just said was you guys tried all these different spots before you figured out like, no, we can't just do it. We have to set up a blind. And that's what people on public need to do is, is when you figure out like, okay, all the deer are always coming from the East. Can I get closer to the East? Where are they actually coming from? Can I get, and, and you know that through trial and error, because at some point you're going to go too far East that you're going to bump them. And then you're gonna be like, okay, well, this is where they are, you know, wait a week and come back and they're going to be in there again, you know? Um, and then you're trying to like, okay, now where can I sit this for a North wind and a South wind? And where can I um, come in from for an entry route and an exit route and where for both of these different stands and you need to figure out okay well this is only good for a southwest wind and I can come in from this area and this is the only tree and at this point I need to just get lucky and hope that they come out in this direction right yeah and that's just that's that's where you're at on public and that's that's just what it is mm-hmm right and, and if you can that is a great tip though because you can move downfall and deadfall 
on public. Like you just can't cut, like in Wisconsin, you just can't cut down trees and you can't cut everything down, but you can, you can move downfall. So if there's three trails coming out of there and you can shoot two of them, it's not a bad idea to, if there's a down tree over there to drag it over that third one. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And just kind of close it off for them. Mm -hmm. So great point. No, that's a good, that's a good one. Um, what about, um, well, you kind of answered cutting, cutting those trails. What about food? What about food plots? Do you, do you, uh, do you guys change up how you plant food plots and what you plant year over year? Yeah. So we, I don't do a ton of it to be completely honest. Um, okay. the yeah, area I should have asked, do you even do food plots first? <laughs> no, it's a great question though. Cause they work. I mean, I think it's the number one tool to be successful, but in the one thing that I do do in our area, it's primarily ag or ag land. It's corn and beans. I flip the farmer a couple bucks every year. Hey, can you leave a little bit standing right here around, you know, where my stand is? And it's not any diversity to what they're already eating, but inevitably late season, if we get a little snow, all the cut stuff's covered they kind of just want to come check out even just that little small spot, 10th of an acre, um, the size of, you know, my living room and just to come check it out. And it's inexpensive because he's already planting it anyway. Just got to pay him yield times uh, area, so to speak. And yeah, that's worked out nice for me. Um, so I hunt, we have a four person team. So uh, longtime friends, Cody and Clay Comerford, their two brothers, they have a farm in Illinois and they do a lot more with, uh, turnips, radish, clovers, things like that. And they, they have been kind of toying around with food plots, different sizes, different locations. Um, they utilize it a lot more and it's been super successful for them over the years, both early season and late season. Okay. Got it. So um, is there something more you wanted to know on that? I mean, no. I don't use it a whole lot personally, other than like, it helps me mainly during the late season. Yeah. Just have that little bit of standing crop that's different um, from everything else. Yeah. No, no, no. And I, and I don't want to force you into like talking about something that you don't do a lot it's of. not my expertise. Not, yeah. Honest. We're not, we're not here to pretend of what we're not. Yep. <laughs> um, so no, that, no, that's, that's a good point. And I, and I, and I, you know, as you're saying that I'm thinking like, okay, can I flip my farmer some money to, to throw, leave up some, some acreage as well. And then also one of the other things that I have noticed is like some years are wet years and, and farmers just don't get their crops out or they only get certain chunks out and hunting the swamp that I'm in. Um, some years portions of egg fields are left in because it's too wet when they're trying to pick like that section is just flooded or whatever you know um and that's a good thing to key in on as well is if is if that's something in your area and you go scout that especially late season scouting out the food sources that are out there is huge i mean understanding where that food is because that's gonna i mean that's gonna be where all the deer congregate you know for sure um that's the big, that's the big thing. And, and why food is 
food is king in early season, but food is an, an emperor in late season because all the deer congregate in the late season, whereas the early season deer can just browse all day and have full bellies anyway. Yep. Um, yep. One so, thing I will say, Anthony, about the farmer, some farmers will look at you like you're uh, like you're crazy if they you tell them you want to feed deer because they'll be like, they eat enough of my crop throughout the year. Why would I feed them more? You know. But, yeah, uh, I have a really good relationship. It's it's my mom's cousin that lets me farm, and he gets it. He knows how crazy I am about it. But, you know, for certain farmers, it's their pride and joy. You know, like the thought of leaving it standing would be crazy. But, um. Anyway, I'm just kind of making yeah. a joke, but no, no, that makes it, sense. it works if you find the right right person for sure yeah uh yeah i'm sure it does um and i know like yeah my a friend of mine does that they have a a small i don't know maybe it's a one acre field that they just ask the farmer to plant and know that that is not going to get picked at the end of the year like they just go hey can you plant this but and it's on our land and you're leasing this from us like this is this is like free and we'll float you some money for planting on it just just plant you're planting the field next to it, plant this little one acre deal. For, for sure. Us. Um, yeah, no, um, I, th- that's, I mean, that's all I got. It's kind of looking at trail cameras, looking at stand locations, um, bedding manipulation. Have you, I mean, trail, trail manipulation, have you guys ever gone in and cut out new trails for the deer aside from, I mean, you kind of answer that with that cedar thicket, but aside from that, have you ever been like, gosh, I really would like the, the deer to not enter from the north side of this field and rather enter from the west so we'll kind of close this one off and open up a new one yeah good question so that's the only example i have um and we hunt like the farms that i hunt are permission farms so you kind of got to be cognizant of yeah you know what i mean some of that it's mm-hmm. not ground i own so want to make sure that you're not like kind of forcing the issue just for deer hunting so to speak you know what yeah. i mean oh yeah check yep. the habitat but i think it, it can work uh especially i mean most of the time it's like it's not like you're cutting down the best walnut tree or the best oak tree you know what i mean right it, it's usually you know scrub trees or whatever um that are great for cover that's why it's good bedding but it's usually you know like maybe a hedge apple or it's briar or right. you know something so, like that that's like not really a, a valuable tree per se to where anyone would care but you obviously still want to you can't on public but you want to talk to your landowner and make sure that they're good <laughs> with it too I, that goes without saying but that that that's the reason why we haven't done more of it i guess is right well, actually, that does not go without saying, because I had a guy on my property this year cut shit down that I did not want to be cut down. So, yeah, it's kind of one of those things I asked my I asked my dad, I was like, hey, man, I got like we let this guy hunt it, which is a friend of a friend. And it was his first season hunting. Um, the issue was he came in like guns a blazing. He knew everything and he had listened to some podcasts and watched some YouTube videos. So he was an expert. He was and ready was to like, cut and all that. Yeah, well, he didn't. He just he he asked. He said, "Hey, man, I want to set up a blind, but there's all these trees in this area. So, like, I'd like to 
cut them down so that I can shoot. My dad's like, yeah, sure. I don't care. Like, here's a, here's a big clippers go do your thing. Well, he was looking and hunt, trying to hunt out of a bedding area. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like, don't go in there and clear that out. That is, that is literally there for a reason. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's just kind of one of those things. And, and he asked the landowner, my dad was just like, yeah, sure. Here you go. And my dad just assumed that he was like, I don't know, cutting down some little, I don't I, My dad was just like, I had no idea his, I didn't even think about it, <laughs> you know, oh, and, and I've, yeah, I finally went and checked it the other week. What he had, I had him on camera with that. And I knew where he was, he was in the direction going that way with the clippers. And I was like, Oh no, like this better not be the case. And I finally went and checked it and, and he didn't go very far into the bedding area, just like 15, 20 yards. And he just clipped a trail so that he could shoot kind of into it, which only let him shoot 20 yards into it with a rifle and didn't even like really get into it. So I was just, whatever, like, I don't know what you, why you did what you did. Cause it literally did not improve your odds at all, <laughs> but whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, do you have anything else to add or, or we can wrap this up, man? Yeah, we can wrap up. I, I would just summarize some uh, thanks again for the conversation. It's been fun. Yeah. It's always fun to talk about hunting, but you know, like if, if somebody's still in kind of the early stages of hunting, you don't just wake up knowing everything. It's if one thing you can take away from the conversation is like, it is a learning process. And I've been fortunate enough to shoot some nice deer, but I'm still learning stuff all the time. And if anybody thinks they know it all, they're joking. There's a lot of people that pretend to know it all, but that nothing can tell you more than just being out there and observing, looking at the land, trying to take it all in. Your trail camera is just one more tool to be there when you're not there to look at. And it's, if you don't have great pictures, it's looking one direction. It's one direction for about whatever, 25 yards. So don't be discouraged by any of that. And we talked a lot about that. They're fun. They're a great tool, but it's not like if you don't have big deer on camera that it can't happen either. So for sure, main takeaways would be those things. Cause it's just, I, I love, that's what I love about deer hunting. You can always learn something. Yeah, no, that is very true. Great way to summarize it, man. I appreciate it. So yeah, guys, if you want to find more content from Seth, you can find him on Instagram at, at Seth Booker or Rooker. Sorry. Yep. Sounds like Booker, Seth <laughs> Rooker. Um, or you can go to advantage whitetail, follow them, do, do Seth and advantage a favor and just follow them both. Um, hit them, hit them up with some questions. These guys are very responsive. So, um, it's fun to talk to them and, and there's a lot of information there if, if you're looking to, to gain some. So thanks for being on, man. Really appreciate it. And, and stick around for a second. I'm just going to end the recording. Um, okay. Oh, and also everyone, if you're listening to this, you enjoyed it, you liked it, please, please subscribe to this. Find me on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook or any of those platforms I'm on. Uh, oh, actually check out go wild. It is, it is an app that's meant for like outdoorsmen. So you know how on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot, a lot of outdoorsmen, their stuff's getting censored and whatnot. So Go Wild 
is open and free for that purpose. So it's kind of a place for a lot of people who enjoy the outdoors to, to get after it. So I've been posting more content on there and there's some other good content. So, so check that one out as well. And, um, and then also if you would, please, this would, I know this takes time and it's a, it's kind of a big ask, but leave a review. Let me know, like, you know, hundreds of you guys listen to this stuff and there are uh, less than a hundred reviews. So if you guys would please just take the, take the, you know, five minutes to, to click, leave a review, put a star rating in there, please put it five. I don't care really what you say after that, but just, just put the five stars in there and then we'll, we'll, we'll work out the details afterwards. All right. Appreciate it guys. Have a good one.